0: Good morning, Elevation Church. See, y'all are more awake. I don't understand. You lost an hour of sleep last night, and you're more awake today than you were last Sunday. messes my mind up. I don't know what's going on with y'all. Everybody get enough caffeine this morning? Maybe that's it. Everybody get caffeinated? I did. Look out. (laughs) And sugar on top of it? Who brought donuts, man? Bethany, did you bring those donuts? Come on. (sighs) Y'all ready for this? It's week nine. Week nine of our teaching series, Red Ink. Who knew we were going to do nine weeks? I didn't. I had no idea how far this was going to go. I know it's not over yet, but we're in week nine of a series that we're just investigating the words that Jesus spoke in his three year ministry. Opening up the Bible, finding those red ink passages, the passages of Jesus' own words, and investigating those words to discover. Not only what Jesus said, but how what he said impacted those people that he spoke to 2,000 years ago, and even more importantly, how those words impact and affect us today. How we are to apply what he said so that we can live the life that he came to prepare for us right now. Jesus, in his three-year ministry, spoke a lot of words. So I guess that's how we got to week nine, right? And we haven't even gotten through the Sermon on the Mount yet. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, so if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, you'll have a head start. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't have a, a Bible app on your smartphone at this point, because I bet everybody here has a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, I mean, what are you waiting on? Come on, I'm just saying. Um... If you don't have it, though, we're going to have the passages up on the screen behind me so you can follow along there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 7. But for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about prayer. Two weeks ago, we got into some stuff that Jesus said back in Matthew 6 about how not to pray. You remember that? How, to, how not to pray? Don't pray like the hypocrites and don't pray like the pagans. Don't pray to impress people. Don't pray and just blabber on and on and on and on because you think you're going to impress God or get him to do your will just by talking a lot, right? That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week we got into what Jesus said about how to pray. We got into the Lord's Prayer and we broke down some of what Jesus had to say to us about how we should pray in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to continue in the theme of prayer today. But we're not talking about the prayer priorities that we were talking about for the last two weeks. Today we're going to get into some principles about prayer, some some kind of uh, like 101 level things that you need to know and maybe don't. Some of this stuff surprised me when I heard it as an adult, as a believer, uh, You know, several years as a believer. I I wasn't fully aware of some of the things we're going to talk about today. So maybe this will catch you off guard. Maybe it'll just affirm something that you already know. But we're going to get into these principles here in just a moment as we open up Matthew chapter 7 and read verses 7 and 8. Let's go ahead and do that right now. Let's open up Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 and read those together right now. Jesus speaking, He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's three really powerful verbs in that passage. Maybe you caught them. Maybe as I read them, I emphasized them a little bit. Maybe they just jump off the page and become emphasized on their own. I don't know. But three very powerful verbs, ask, seek, and knock. And what gives these verbs the power that they have? The way Jesus spoke them. These verbs are more than just the typical action word. You know, these these are a very specific type of verb because of the way Jesus spoke them. They're called imperatives. And if there's any English people in here, like English, you know, majors, like you like to teach writing and reading and all that kind of stuff, and you know how to break down and diagram sentences and all the things about words, all the stuff that we hadn't done in forever, right? These are not just imperative verbs, but they're present tense imperative verbs. Now, what does that mean? An imperative is a command. This is something you are to do. This is something that Christians, followers of Jesus, need to be doing. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Imperatives, commands. Present tense imperatives or present imperatives are commands that you are to do now and continue to do in the future. These are things that we need to do today, tomorrow, the next day, and into perpetuity. In other words, you never stop asking, seeking, and knocking, asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here on this next thing, but I think there's kind of an ascending order, you know, like an increasing level of intensity in these three verbs also. I think Jesus ordered these verbs, these commands, these imperatives, and kind of an ascending or increasing intensity. I mean, it's not hard to ask for something. Everybody asks. We ask all the time. We ask every day. Seeking involves a little bit more, you know, that's a, it's a little more, uh, got to do some stuff with seeking. You're looking for something. And then knocking. Knocking is like a, uh, well, knocking is kind of an emotional thing. When you're knocking, you're asking to be let in, and there's a risk that you might not. The door could be shut in your face. So I think there's kind of an, an increasing intensity in these verbs as Jesus gives them asking, seeking, and knocking. And I want to talk about these three before we ever get into our prayer principles today because I think if we can just for a moment touch on these three and uh, enlighten ourselves a little bit about what's going on here, then maybe these um, prayer principles will make a little bit more sense and be a little bit more applicable. So let's talk about asking for a moment. Asking when it comes to prayer is really something very base level, very simple. It's asking for something, like the prayer need is so obvious you don't have to discern God's will. You don't need to really think about, now God, what should I do in this scenario? Is it A or B or is it C or D? Jesus taught about this kind of, of prayer last week when he, in the Lord's Prayer when He said pray like this and He got to the point where He said, give us this day our daily bread. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us the basic sustenance, the nutrition, the calories that we need to operate today. Give me the food that I need. Just for today. That's a base level need, right? Basic need. Does God know you have that need? Of course he does. Do you know you have that need? Of course you do. But asking God for that need is an important aspect of prayer. Why? Because in the ask, there's the affirmation that you know and understand that God is the provider of everything in your life, from the base level needs to the most extravagant, most important, most critical, life-changing, life-altering decisions. God is the provider of everything. And Jesus wants us to ask because that conveys that we understand that God is that provider. Seeking. Seeking, I believe, is kind of a deeper level of prayer. It's something that we do when we're confused, when we face a scenario or a situation in life that has us kind of doubting, scratching our chin or our head a little bit, going, what do I do next? It's, it is that scenario I described a minute ago that I said asking is not. It's that, God, what is your will? Is it A, B, C, or D? Or something It's not even on the page yet. I don't know. You've got to seek God and His will because you don't understand even necessarily what the need is. Seeking God first is something that we should be doing. It's something that we must do as followers of Christ to really dial into God's will. Seeking Him first. First, before we think about our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own knowledge, before I make decisions, it's easy for me to lean into myself. What do I think? What do I want? What would I do in that scenario? I know, and I run off and do it. I never sought God. I didn't seek Him first. I didn't even ask Him for His blessing sometimes before I went and made the decision. You ever make decisions like that? Okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. Now bless it so I can go do it. That's not the kind of seeking we're talking about. We're talking about seeking God first, seeking God, really going after Him, opening up the Word. Because whatever decision you have, whatever prayer need you have, whatever uh, thing in life you're dealing with, it's here. The answer is here. It's in God's Word. Every scenario in life, the solution is here. God's given it to you already. Seek Him in His Word. Seek Him in His Word before you seek wise counsel from other believers. Seek Him in His Word before you seek your own way. Seek Him in His Word. Seek Him in prayer. Go to God. Ask. (laughs) Dial back to the ask. Ask. Seek in His Word. Seek in prayer. Seek God in silence, in listening, in waiting for the Spirit to speak to you in your heart, to move you in a way you got to be careful that it wasn't the bad pizza you ate last night, but it really is a movement of God when you get that answer, all right? But seeking God, His will, His plan, His way. And even then, sometimes, even the most mature Christian, the most learned believer will come up with a blank slate. I don't know. I can't figure out, I don't even know how to pray. Maybe I'm not even asking God the right question. I don't know. And it's so frustrating. I've been there myself. I bet some of you have. I bet most of you have. Then what? You're seeking God, but you're not finding Him. But what? What do you do? Check out Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 and 27, because God even has a plan for that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the believers in Rome, and he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that a powerful promise right there? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love that in my weakness, in your weakness, God's strength is made evident. God's strength takes over when we're weak because we we can't we have nowhere else to turn. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. That's a phenomenal plan that God has in place. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't know how to pray, when you're just lost for an answer and you're seeking God and you're just like beating your head against the wall, hopefully like, you know, not for real, but symbolically speaking, beating your head against the wall, the Holy Spirit, believers, is praying on your behalf. He's discerning those moans and those groans, those, those, just, those cries when you just cry out to God. What? what? Do the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf because He knows what's in your heart. And the beauty of the Holy Spirit praying on your behalf is He only prays God's will for you. You and I pray our will for us a lot of the time. Would you agree? You pray your will. You pray, God, this is what I want. God, would you do this for me? God, here's the way I see it playing out. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit only prays God's will, and that is awesome because God's will, God's way, God's plan is perfect 100% of the time. In every scenario, always, His plan, His will is perfect, and it's better than anything you could have cooked up on your own. And the Holy Spirit is praying that for you. I think that's an awesome promise. And I get a lot of comfort and power from knowing that that is taking place. Seeking and now knocking. Knocking, I said a minute ago, is what you do when you want to be let in. When you come to the door and and, and the door is closed and you want in. When you want into a group of people, you want into a club, you want to be accepted into a family, you want to be accepted by another person, you have to knock. I mean, not literally physically every single time, and you might have to knock, but you've got to knock on the door of somebody's heart. You've got to knock on the door of the, the group that you want to be a part of, the family that you want to get into. You've got you've to be welcomed and accepted into that group. Jesus says that if you knock, the door will be opened. If you knock, the door will be opened. Another phenomenal promise, because if you're like me, you've knocked on some doors before, and you were not let in. Anybody ever been in sales? You talk about knocking on some doors not being let in? That can break a brother, man. Dude, I've made 22 sales calls today, and I got 25 no's out of 22 calls. I don't even know how you do that. You have a rotten day sometimes. You can have a rotten experience as a a high schooler or a college student trying to break into a group, get into a club, be accepted. Some of you have been rejected by churches. That stinks. It stinks to get rejected, to have the door closed in your face or never opened in the first place. Jesus says that will not happen. Knock on the door, and God is on the other side. He's ready to throw that door open and to receive you, to welcome you into His house, to welcome you into His family. God will not reject you. He will receive you if you will just knock, asking, seeking, and knocking, three imperatives that I think if we understand better, we can really get these next five principles and apply them in our lives and really see what God has for us in them. So let's get into these five principles of prayer that I see Jesus talking about here in Matthew chapter seven. The first principle we're going to talk about today, I'm going to say it twice because it might catch some of you off guard. Um it, it kind of surprised me the first time. Principle one, God does not promise to answer everyone's prayers. Three, two, one. God does not promise to answer everyone's prayers. That kind of caught me cold the first time I realized that. See, God is not obligated to answer the prayers of every person. God promises to answer the prayers of His children. And some of you right now are going, but isn't God the Father of all people? No, he's the creator of all people. God created every single person in here, every single person in our world, in his image and in his likeness. But he becomes your father when you become adopted, as we talked about last week, into his family by submitting your will to him, by submitting your life to him, by accepting the fact that you're a sinner and you're separated from God by that sin and that you need a Savior. And he sent the Savior, in the form of His Son, Jesus, who paid the penalty and the price to reconcile you to God, to make available the adoption process. And when you're adopted in the family of God, as I said last week, you cannot ever be booted out. I love the the illustration of of adoption, the the, the wording that was chosen for Scripture, because in Bible times, in, in, in Jewish culture, if you were adopted, you could not be disowned. Natural children? Absolutely. Adopted children, not so much. Folks, if you're adopted in the family of God, when you knock and God throws that door open and you're received, you can't be kicked out. And once you're in God's family, God your Father answers your prayers. Now, if you're feeling left out right now, if you're feeling excluded, because I just said that God does not have to answer the prayers of those who are not in His family, and you know you're not in His family, you know you're on the outside of that door looking in and you're feeling right now hurt and rejected like I just said wouldn't happen? No. God's not rejecting you. He's not. Remember, Jesus just said, knock and the door will be open. You just haven't knocked yet. If you're feeling rejected right now because you're outside of the family of God, God is the most accepting. Christianity is the most, like, accepting inclusive not exclusive pattern system of faith religion if you want to go with that word that exists everybody's welcome in everybody Jesus died on the cross for everybody doesn't matter what culture you were born into doesn't matter how you were raised couldn't care less how sin stained you are you can be red headed Bald-headed, fat, thin, tall, short, male, female, tattooed, doesn't matter. Colorful past. I've shared about mine, y'all know, colorful. Jesus accepts everybody. The door is ready to be opened. God is ready to receive you. And when He receives you, your prayers can be answered. So if you feel like your prayers never make it past the ceiling, Like you kneel down and pray, you pray in the car, you pray here, you pray there. You started praying outdoors because there's no ceiling, but you still feel like your prayers can't penetrate. They never get answered. They never make it to God. Have you ever knocked on the door and been received into the family of God? Because God does not have to answer everybody's prayers. He doesn't have to. But if you knock and ask to be let in, then your prayers can be heard and can be answered by God. Got to ask God for what He promises. Principle number two. Ask God for what God promises. That's what we talked about a few minutes ago when I was talking about ask. Let's look at verse 7. What does verse 7 say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. James says it a little bit differently. He says it in the negative. James 4.2, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes you get mad at God. I don't know if y'all ever get mad at God. I get mad at God sometimes. I can say in my past especially, I've been mad at God on more than one occasion. Mad at God because I did not have What I wanted, I did not have what I believed I deserved, emphasis on the word believed, or I didn't have what I thought or even knew that He promised. I didn't have it. I was like, God, but you said, or God, I thought, or or, God, the preacher told me, my parents told me. Why, God, why? And James says, Because you didn't ask, fool. (laughs) You didn't ask. You gotta ask. Have you ever been in a position where you wanted something, and instead of asking, you just went and got it? My two-year-old is like world-class at this right now. She's almost three, two and a half plus, a little. And in the last month or so, Kenley has become an expert at sneaking candy. She has two older sisters, so she has discovered candy. Candy good, right? Right? In our pantry, on a high shelf, we store candy. The big girls have their candy from, they probably still have candy from Halloween because we're candy Nazis and we just don't, we dole out candy slowly. Small amounts, right? Three children in the house, you understand. Candy has to be given in small amounts. Kenley has figured out how to get to the candy. If she finds candy, that got left on a counter. like a stealth ninja man two and a half years old she'll be off in a corner somewhere quiet go to the bathroom and close the door <laughs> we've caught her a couple times you know snagging candy she didn't ask she was afraid of what the answer would be so she just went and got it on her own you know what Kinley's learned she's learned the same thing that all of us have learned sometimes you can get what you want without asking sometimes you can just go and take it and nobody even knows. We've learned to depend on ourselves more than we depend on God. We've learned to, to, through our parents sometimes, believe that the answer is always going to be no if we ask. And that it's easier to seek forgiveness than permission. I operate out of that model to this day sometimes. And I hate it when I do it, after the fact. I usually enjoy it in the moment. But there's always something coming on the back end of that that I just, I'm like, oh, I did it again. Are you more dependent on yourself, on your own abilities, your own strength, your own power, your own wisdom, your own knowledge than you are on God? Are you unwilling to ask because you believe he's like this cosmic killjoy that will never say yes and only says no? Do you think God is all about thou shalt nots? Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full, not to the part full, not to the barely full, not to the empty, not no. Yes, he's a yes God. When we ask the right questions, Ask. Sometimes we think that we just deserve something. Shouldn't have to ask. I mean, come on, I'm entitled to this. We look at mom and dad and they just give, give, give. Teachers sometimes just kind of give you a pass, a slide, especially if you're, you know, kind of cool. Teacher's pet person. You know how to butter up to them a little bit. If you're on the athletics teams, you're real important to the athletics. You might get a little pass. Coach might butter the spread a little bit of that teacher, and you can kind of slide on through on something. Entitlement gets built up that way. We, we develop these entitlement mentalities, and some people grow up, and they think that the world is just going to work that way. Like, I can get a job, and all i got to do is show up, and they're going to pay me. Right? That's entitlement. We're not entitled. We've got to ask for God's blessings. We can't go out and earn them on our own. Nobody's going to give them to us. We've got to ask. Anything that you achieve on your own is hollow. It's empty and devoid of God. If you just go out and achieve it on your own, it's hollow. Anything that you achieve with God working through you, and by the way, there's nothing you can't do with Christ, nothing you can't do with God. In Christ, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Anything that you do with God is going to satisfy you. Even the smallest little things done with God, for God, with God's leadership and guidance, His permission, His blessing on the front end. Even the smallest things are totally satisfying. The biggest accomplishments that you get on your own. Some of you have been there and accomplished a lot. Earned money, achieved great things athletically, done good in business, whatever. It's hollow. You have happiness for a fleeting moment, followed by that fall off, that emptiness at the end because it didn't deliver what you thought it would. Ask God. Next principle. This is going to throw a curveball. God hears and answers every prayer. But wait a minute, Todd. Didn't you just say God doesn't answer? everyone's prayers? I did. How does that work? If God hears and answers every prayer, but He doesn't have to answer everyone's prayers, how does that? Well, first of all, Jesus is speaking to believers when He says this. Look at at verse 8 again. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. He hears and answers every prayer. Jesus is speaking to His followers. He's speaking to the faithful. So you can assume that when he speaks to the faithful, he's, he's assuming he's, it's, it's them he's talking to. He hears and answers every prayer. If you ask, it will be received. But you know what? I think we can even go beyond the fact that Jesus is speaking to the faithful. Because just because God's not obligated to answer a prayer doesn't mean that God won't answer the prayer. You ever think about that? He's not obligated to answer the prayer of every person, but just because he's not obligated doesn't mean he automatically doesn't or won't do it. I prayed some prayers before I became a believer. I became a believer at 21 years old. Before that, I prayed a lot of prayers. There were a lot of them that I didn't think got answered. The reality is God was answering those prayers. He was answering the prayers of the Holy Spirit who prayed on my behalf, I think, sometimes just to keep me alive some of the idiotic things that I did but just because he doesn't promise doesn't mean that he doesn't answer doesn't mean that he doesn't hear the problem I think is that we only look for yes answers hello we only look for yes And if we don't get the yes that we expect or think we deserve, then we think God either didn't hear the prayer or didn't answer the prayer. And this applies to believers, non-believers, in the family, out of the family. I don't care if you're praying and you're only looking for a yes answer and you assume that God just didn't answer if you didn't get the answer you expected. Man, you're setting yourself up for a huge failure. Huge failure. There's three possible answers, aren't there? Pretty much every question, every yes or no question, has three possible answers. Every prayer you give to God has three possible answers. Yes, no, and the parent's all-time favorite, not now. Or we'll see. (laughs) Not now. No and yes. Three possible answers for every prayer. If you're only looking, only have your radar up, For the yes answer, you're going to be highly disappointed a lot of the time. Like probably two out of three. Just guessing, you know, using the raw numbers here. Don't miss out on the joy that comes from living in God's will. Because you're only looking for one answer. That you're painting God into the corner of being like, Santa Claus God, I ask, you deliver. God's not a genie. Your wish is not His command. He's not obligated to yes. He's not obligated to answer everyone. But I believe He hears and answers every prayer. And I believe that because no is a valid answer. No is a very valid answer. Garth Brooks had a wonderful song when I was, well, it's just old. Let's just go with that. About unanswered prayers. I'm not saying it's like biblically accurate or anything. But sometimes there's some huge blessings in those unanswered prayers, right? Huge, ginormous blessings. God's no, see, is really a yes. God's no is really a yes. It's yes to what is best. You pray your will, God says no. You think He didn't answer, He just delivered you. From a disaster. Unfortunately, a lot of times we go ahead and go forward with a disaster because we never heard the no. We just assumed he didn't answer. I've been on the brink of disaster many times, and I've been neck deep in it probably even more than I can realize because I wasn't listening for a no. I didn't realize that God's no is really a yes. I forget that God's will is perfect. His plan is dead on right. For me, 100% of the time. A no from God is a yes to the full life that Jesus promised that He's prepared for you. And that leads us to our next principle. Sometimes God gives you what you need rather than what you want. Sometimes God gives us what we need instead of what we want. Verses 9 through 11. Again, Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Jesus says, Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm a pretty messed up dad. Pretty flawed. Lots of chinks in the old dad armor. But if my children come to me and ask me for something that is good for them, I'm. I mean, like candy. Good chance they're going to get the no or the not for or, or the we'll see answer, right? Amen. You know. But if they ask me for something that's good for them, can we go to church? Hmm, Let me think about that. Um, Dad, I haven't had breakfast. Can Can you cook me an egg? Yeah. I got shoes that are too small. I can't cram my feet into them anymore. Dad, can we buy some shoes? You betcha. When they want something that is good for them, as screwed up, messed up, selfish, inadequate as I am as a dad, I give my children good gifts. God is a perfect father. Perfect. And if my flawed fatherhood is good enough to give my children good gifts, how much better are the things that come from God? See, there's a difference between a good thing and a God thing, isn't there? You think it's a good thing, but maybe it's not a God thing. I think it's a God thing, but maybe it's just a good thing the challenge is knowing the difference between the good things the things of god between the good things or even the bad things and the things of god here's a little poem i found when i was doing my research something i think might illustrate how god answers our prayers with what we need rather than what we want it says i asked for strength that i might achieve he made me weak that i might obey I asked for health that I might do great things and he gave me grace that I might do better things I might replace great and better with good and god I asked for riches that I might be happy he did not give them so that I might be wise it took me a lot of years to figure out why I wasn't uh, really really rich i just i was sure that was god's plan for me i asked for power that i might have the praise of men i was given weakness that i might feel a need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received very few of the things that I asked for, but I received the things that I had hoped for. There's a big difference between the good things. Nothing in that left-hand side, nothing on the left side of the semicolons is a bad thing. Good things or at least neutral, on the other side, on that right-hand side, those are the God things, the greatest things, the best things. We pray for good things. God gives us great things, the best things, God things. Sometimes God gives us what we need rather than what we want. Next principle. No sincere prayer is ever wasted. No sincere prayer is ever wasted. I started to say no prayer is ever wasted. I'm not so sure that's true. As I prayed about it, did some research, read, read some great authors, found some other pastors' messages on this same topic, read what they had to say, talked to some friends that are pastors and wiser and more learned than I, prayed some more, I came to the conclusion that there is such a thing as a wasted prayer. A wasted prayer is an insincere, hollow, empty prayer. A wasted prayer is a prayer that's prayed to impress people rather than just to lay your heart out before God. It goes right back to what Jesus taught us two weeks ago about how not to pray. Pray like that, blabber, run off at the mouth, get all worked up and try to impress people. I think those prayers are empty. Those prayers are hollow. Those those prayers are perhaps wasted. Maybe the best thing that comes out of those prayers is some conviction about how to pray, and in that case, maybe they're not wasted. But sincere prayers, no sincere prayer. I'm positive that no sincere, real, heartfelt, pouring out my guts, wondering, questioning, doubting even, can't speak it, just grunts and groans and cries. Those prayers, offered sincerely, I believe, are never, ever wasted. If you ask God for the things that He's promised, if you pour out your heart, the fears and doubts and wonders, the praises, if you seek Him earnestly, really truly trying to discern His will and discover His plan for your life and and find in these pages and in listening for His still small voice, If you knock and sincerely expect an answer, there's there's no waste. There's no waste in that. There's no futility in that. In fact, what comes with that kind of prayer is nothing but gain. You have nothing to lose praying sincere prayers and everything to gain. What can you gain from that? You gain maturity in Christ. You can grow as a believer and grow in your understanding, grow in your relationship with God. You may gain new knowledge, greater understanding, wisdom. You may gain a relationship just to begin with. Maybe that's where some of us are this morning, is just in the need for that relationship to get started. James says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. I believe those powerful and effective prayers revolve around these three imperative verbs. Asking, seeking, and knocking. And the five principles that we just talked about that come from asking, seeking, and knocking with a sincere heart. That was weird. I thought like the choir of angels was about to start singing. I'm wrapping up the message. Some piano starts. Well, I don't even know what happened. Okay, Lord, play. We're ready. Okay, maybe not. Asking seeking, and knocking. My prayer this morning, my sincere prayer, is that as we have opened up God's Word, as we have read what Jesus has to say, that maybe your prayer life has been impacted, that maybe you personally have received some new wisdom, or gained higher understanding, or developed a Deeper relationship, or at least have been given the tools to build that relationship with Christ. To find new depth in your life and to understand more about what He's put you here for and how to live that life through these principles and these imperatives ask, seek, and knock. Leave here today asking. Seeking and knocking, and then keep doing.